You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. It is so easy to take things for granted, isn't it? Don't realize what you've got till it's gone. Somebody ought to make a song about that. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says to us in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. He said, not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I want you to look at that last verse there, that last sentence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, what we often do is we'll take a scripture like that, we'll pull it out of the Bible, and we'll remove it from its context, And then we'll begin to kind of apply it in ways I don't think the Bible ever calls us to apply that particular verse to. Because what you find in Scripture is if you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you, there were a lot of Christians who put up with a lot of things, and I'll talk about that in in a few minutes here, that they didn't have to if they really believed that they could do all things through Christ who strengthened them. What Paul is talking about here, when he uses that phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you got to go back and see the context of what, how he's using that phrase. And what he's using that phrase is, is in a place of how to be content, regardless of the circumstances you're in. So I, I kind of want to look at, at, at this whole concept of how do we learn contentment? Um, and I want you to notice that, that uh, twice Paul uses that phrase. He says, I have learned. And, and he does it twice in case we missed it the first time because regardless of the situation that Paul found himself in, and he found himself in a variety of situations, both in need and both in prosperity. And he said, I've learned something, meaning it did not come automatically. It was something that Paul had to learn. He learned contentment. He learned the secret because there's a secret to satisfaction. And Paul is not writing to the Philippians, nor is he writing to us here today to tell us how to get out of any and every circumstance. He's writing to tell them, here's how to be satisfied in every situation you find yourself in. And what Paul's telling us is he's saying contentment is an acquired skill. And Paul shares with us, I think, the two words that really unlock the secret to satisfaction. And those two words are found there in verse 13. And it's the the words through him, through Christ. Philippians 4.13, it's not about the ability to exceed, to soar higher, to break through every barrier, to finish a race or win a game. It is about realizing the only source of contentment and satisfaction is found in Jesus Christ. 
When you understand who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, and where you stand in Christ, Paul says that is the secret to contentment. And Paul's not just talking theory. He's not just talking hypothesis. Paul is talking facts. Paul had lived a life of satisfaction and contentment, and he does it in some of the most extreme circumstances. Paul had made up his mind that he was going to be satisfied with who he was, where he was, and what he had or what he didn't have. Now, again, our tendency sometimes is to kind of sit there and kind of think to ourselves, well, maybe Paul could do that. Maybe Paul could be content and satisfied, but Paul's not going through what I'm going through right now. He's not in the situation I'm in, because if he was, he'd be thinking and reacting totally different. How could he possibly know what I'm going through? Let me just submit to you that in the worst days of your life, you'll probably never go through or experience what Paul went through. For starters, Paul spent as much time in prison as he did out of it. And again, if I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, why not just walk out that prison door, that jail door? Is that what Paul meant when he used that phrase? Five times he was beaten with the whip, given 39 stripes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one of those times spent a day and a night in the water. He was rejected by his own countrymen, the Jews. And he was persecuted by the Gentiles who he went to to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was often without food, without friends, without finances, without freedom, and without fellowship. Yet Paul says in every one of these situations, every one of these circumstances, Paul said, I've learned the secret to contentment. Paul never owned a house, didn't have a car, Maybe probably had three or four changes of clothing at the most. One pair of sandals, no degrees on his wall, no citations pinned to his chest, no spouse to comfort him when he was down. Yet in every circumstance, whether he was sleeping on silk sheets or on burlap, Paul was content. He was deeply satisfied with the life he had. We need to learn what Paul learned about contentment. Proverbs 27, verse 20 says, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Isn't it amazing how much time and energy and focus we spend on trying to satisfy a desire that the Scripture says will never be satisfied? So what is it that motivates us and drives us to keep wanting more and more? To never be satisfied with what we have, no matter how much we have. 
What motivates us? What drives us to keep getting more and more and more and all the while never being satisfied with what we have? I think there's two main misconceptions. I think two main drivers in our culture today that kind of perpetuate this. And they're not true, but it's really what the culture wants us to believe. And the first one is, is more things will make me happier. The more I get, the more I have, the happier I'll be. That's, that's that first myth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Solomon says, he who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. And then he makes this observation, the more you have, the more you spend. Isn't that amazing? This was written thousands and thousands of years ago. Nothing has changed. It was true then, it's true today. In August of 2021, a study was released that kind of validated uh, this truth. Beginning in 1975, the University of Southern California researcher, Richard Easterland, he surveyed 1,500 people annually. So he starts in 1975, and, and he, he interviews the same people every year, um, and he kind of updates this annually. And he surveyed 1,500 people annually, and here's what he finds. Many people are under the illusion that the more money we make, the happier we'll be. We put all of our resources into making money at the expense of family and our health. The problem is we don't realize that our material wants increase with the amount of money we make. The study went on to discover that true happiness and, and contentment uh, in life was related to quality time with loved ones, good health, being friendly, having an optimistic outlook on life, exercising self-control, and possessing a deep sense of ethics or a deep sense of right versus wrong. And, and you see how that's just flipped in our culture. What's right is now wrong. What's wrong is now right. What's up is down. What's down is up. And we see this. Our, 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 our sense of deep ethics is being eroded. The second misconception is having more things will make me more important. And again, this is promoted by so many shows. I, I remember growing up and watching, uh, I don't know that they do this anymore, but it was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I, I, that always kind of intrigued me, watching all of these different people who were very, very affluent and the lives that they lived and the things that they, uh, that they did. And, and it, it's kind of this whole idea and, and just the ways that it influences people are thinking. And again, the whole idea was uh, in these shows, the, the more money they had, the more important they were. And, and this is uh, that misconception that uh, I am what I own, that my valuables are what give me value, that if I have little, then I must be worth little. So since I want to be liked and respected and looked up to and admired, I must continually keep on getting more and more and more. It's that idea, I've got to keep up with the Joneses, but what most of us don't realize is that the Joneses just refinanced, right? 
Luke 12, 15 says this, be on your guard against greed in any shape or form. Oftentimes we kind of look for the big forms of greed. Oftentimes not realizing it starts very, very small, very little, and, and it's very subtle. And then it just kind of grows. The more we feed it, the more it grows. It never starts out huge. It always kind of just starts out very, very small and very subtle. And that's why he says, be on guard, be aware, be alert against greed in any shape or form for a man's real life in no way depends on the number of his possessions. So again, don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. Again, why do we always want more? Why are we never satisfied with what we have? Because again, we kind of buy into this notion that's being sold and perpetuated and reinforced in our culture over and over and over again that having more things will make me happy and make me feel more important. And again, it's just not true. So how do we live in a consumer-driven culture? How do we break that, that hold, that grip of materialism? How do we, like Paul, begin to learn that secret of contentment? Well, first, we resist comparing what I have to others. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. Paul's saying it's foolish to compare yourself with other people. It's not smart to compare yourself to other people, what they have, because God's made us all to be uniquely different. And comparing ourselves to others, comparing what we have to what others have, it's only going to lead you to places of envy and coveting. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says this, When we long to be rich, we are a prey to temptation. We get trapped into all sorts of foolishness and dangerous ambitions, which eventually plunge us into ruin. And again, there's just that drive, that longing to be rich. It, it's the love of money, um, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, it's the love of money that really is the root to all evil. It's not money. And I'll hear people say that, well, money is the root of all evil. No, no, it's not. Money is neutral. Money is not good or bad. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. It's when the love of money, when we have that longing, that desire, that drive to be rich, he says that we're now a prey to temptation. So again, money's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's how you make it. It's how you spend it. It's what you do with it. Because again, you can go through the Bible and you'll see that some of the wealthiest men in the Bible were also some of the godliest. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, when we long, when it becomes a driving ambition above and beyond everything else, he says, that's your number one goal in life, is to make this almighty dollar. He says, watch out, beware, be on guard. 
The thing about things is that things transform us. We can get possessed by our possessions. We can become owned by what we own. And again, if you own anything, a house, a car, anything, a bank account, a nice guitar, anything, if God tells you to give that away and you can't give it away, it owns you. If you have something that God has told you to give away and you couldn't give it away, or you're saying, I could never let go of that. I could never do that. I could never give that. You don't own it. It owns you. So he says, resist comparing yourself to others or what others have. Second thing is rejoice in what I do have. I loved in Pam's prayer this morning. Again, she just calls us back to the simple things. A sunrise, a sunset, the singing of the birds. I mean, it's the simple things in life that God gives us on a daily basis that if we'll just slow down, take the time to just sit and enjoy and, and thank God that we have this moment, we have this day to rejoice in and to be glad in. Be grateful for what you've got. That was kind of the whole point of the opening video. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. It's a lot cheaper too, amen? <laughs> in America, the desire to acquire is out of control. We live in an unreal, unattainable world. I think sometimes we just have to stop and ask ourselves the tough questions. Will moving from a $250,000 house to a $500,000 house, will that double my happiness? Again, we just need to be careful and ask ourselves what really matters. And am I depending on things, possessions to make me more happy or more important? I mean, I remember, you know, and, and a lot of you may remember this too. I remember growing up where we had one car. I mean, you know, and, and I remember growing up and I would see, and it was really, uh, uh, I mean, odd that you would ever see a family with more than one car. I, and I mean, if you saw a family with two cars when I was growing up, I mean, those were, those people made it. Uh, I mean, we grew up uh, our whole lives as, as kids, I think until maybe I got in high school, we had one car that we depended on. I mean, I watched things growing up, you know, like Little House on the Prairie. How many of you watched that, that show? I mean, I, I, I just recently watched that series, um, uh, I think it's 1883. Um, and again, I, I love shows that are kind of set back in, in the old days like that. And it's really kind of the whole series is about these people kind of traveling um, across the, uh, the, the plains. I mean, these were, the, the, these were pioneers. Uh, they've got their wagon and, and their horses. And I mean, everything they own is in the wagon. I mean, there, there's, there's no home they're going to. They're going to a place to establish a whole new life. And everything they have is in that wagon. And man, I, I just stop and think about what 
what would that have been like? I mean, your little house in the prairie, what would that have been like to really have grown up? Um, and, and that story is all based upon uh, Laura Ingle Wilder's, uh, on her diaries. Um, so, so they're drawing from, from her experiences. And, and again, we don't stop and think. I mean, how far we've come in a, in a hundred years, and yet the human heart still is not satisfied. I just find that very interesting. And again, a lot of that is, is, is we just don't stop and we just don't rejoice. We don't give thanks to God. We're not grateful for the things we have. We're basically complaining about what we don't have. And again, it, oftentimes it's so easy to get focused on what we've lost rather than what's left. Right? And sometimes, you know, uh, rejoicing, it's just a matter of perspective. There's a man named Will. He owned a farm in Minnesota. And one day there was a knock at his door, and it was the county surveyor. And he said to the farmer, sir, may I come in? I've got some bad news. The farmer said, oh, no. Yeah, please, come on in. The surveyor came in, and he sat down, and he said, I hate to tell you this, but I've discovered your farm isn't in Minnesota. It's actually in Wisconsin. Farmer hearing this jumped up, he clapped his hands, and he said, thank God. He said, this is the best news I've heard in 20 years. The surveyor was kind of shocked at his response, and he said to the farmer, why is that? The farmer said, I just told my wife this morning I didn't think I could take another winter in Minnesota. <laughs> Sometimes how we look at things makes all the difference in the world. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from money. No, from the love of money. It's impossible to keep our lives free of money. We need money. Money does things. Again, it's neutral. It's the love of money. And he goes on and says, and be content with what you have contentment. Again, is that a natural quality? Is that something that just comes on its own? No. It's developed. It's, it's a process. It takes time. Again, it's easy to be discontented in our society today. And it's no surprise when you've got over four or 5,000 advertising messages that are aimed at you every day from multiple sources. And each one has been spent and designed to make you believe you can't live without that. You can't go another day without that product. And again, contentment is not a natural trait. Paul says it must be learned. G.K. Chesterton said there's two ways to have enough. One, get more, or two, desire less. If you desire less, you can be content without having to get more. And again, when we lack contentment, when we lack satisfaction with who we are, what we have, where we are, it's the beginning of kind of getting us sidetracked. 
There was a very successful businessman who decided to take a break from the hustle and bustle of life, and he wanted to go and spend a few days at a monastery. As the monk took this man to a very simple room, there was a bed and a sink, no windows. The monk said to the man, I hope your stay here is very blessed. If you need anything, let us know, and we'll teach you how to live without it. If things continue going in the direction they're going in this country and around the world, I think it would behoove us to learn to be content with where we are, who we are, and what we have. If you don't learn how to be totally satisfied with who you are, where you're at, and what you have, you'll never be satisfied with who you are tomorrow, where you're at tomorrow, or what you have tomorrow. It begins today. It begins now. I'm content. I'm satisfied. I'm grateful. I'm thankful for who I am, for where I am, for what I have. Believe it or not, what I'm going to read to you right now was written by a 14-year-old young man named Jason Lehman. Where this teenager got this insight and wisdom, uh, I will never know. But he wrote these words entitled, Present Tense. And he says, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday seasons. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Man, brilliant insight from a 14-year-old. The reasons we're never satisfied with the next thing is because we're not happy, we're not content, we're not satisfied with the present thing. So resist comparing yourself to others. Rejoice in what you do have. Thirdly is return 10% back to God. We call that tithing. Deuteronomy 14.23 makes it very clear. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to put, to always put God first. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. The purpose of tithing is to teach you and I to put God first in our lives. God says one of the antidotes to consumerism, to materialism, to that drivenness to get more and more is to take the first 10% of everything you have and you give it back to God. Why? God doesn't need the money he owns it all. We're just given 
the resources to be managers, to be stewards over. God teaches us to give a portion of what he has given to us back as again, to break that grip of materialism, of consumerism. And the Bible says it's one of the ways that teaches us and it kind of reinforces every time we do that, I'm putting God first. While real personal income has increased in the last 20 years, researchers find that giving has declined. And it's not just in churches, they see this throughout nonprofit organizations across the board. People today are making more and more and giving less and less. Why is that? Again, it's just that drive for materialism, consumerism to get more. Our money is going other places. Now notice the scripture says, first, why don't some people tithe simple is God's probably not first in our lives. Or we've got wrong priorities. Or we're not willing to live on less. Do you realize that most of us do not have an income problem? We have a spending problem. I mean, I, I would say that that's true even for me. It's not that I need to make more. I just need to learn to spend less. We don't have an income problem. We have a spending problem. And we're not willing to go without. We'd rather disobey God. And again, the goal is, I think, one of the things Scripture teaches us or attempts to teach us is that we should always live on less than what we make. Why? So that we're able to meet our needs, but to have enough left over to bless others, uh, to be able to uh, give and to tithe. And again, if we're living on everything we make, we can't save anything, and chances are we'll never tithe. And so what he's saying is we ought to live on less than we make and give more and tithe more so that other people can be blessed and God can take first place in our lives. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19 says, Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should give happily to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. He says, by doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It is the only safe investment for eternity. We've seen the stock market the last couple of weeks, haven't we? There's no security in that. And he says the only safe investment uh, for this is for eternity. Now, I want you to notice several things about this passage. First, he says, tell those who are rich. And we sometimes sit there and say, yeah, you tell them, you give it to them, those people that are rich. We know if you compare ourselves really to the standard of living of other people around the world, we are rich. No matter where you may fall in that range, Compared to everybody else in the world, Americans are rich. We are blessed. I don't care how much in your income may be, again, in relationship, in comparison to the rest of the world, we're rich. There's nobody here that's worried in the last 30 days, probably, where their next meal's going to come from. 
And then he says, true living comes from giving. He says, we ought to really be ready. We ought to be prepared and leveraging ourselves to use our money to do good. There are companies out there that, that use the profits they make to support evil. I say we should be supporting companies that are using their profits to do good. And they're out there. We just have to be wise and we have to be diligent. We have to search them out. Because he says when you're doing this, when you're, when you're giving your money away, when you're using your money to do good, when you're using your money to bless other people. He says, not only are you helping them, but you're helping yourself because you're storing your treasure in heaven. And again, that's the only safe investment, the best place for our money, for our resources is in God's hands. Giving is one of the antidotes to materialism because it's the exact opposite of giving or getting. That's what materialism is. It's get, get, get. The opposite of that is giving. And the point that he's saying is that every time you tithe, every time you do an act of generosity, every time you give, every time you sit down and you write out that check as a tithe, he says you're winning a spiritual battle over materialism. You're saying, I'm going to give back to the one who has provided all that I have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buck the flow of life that says, get, get, get. I'm going to show that my trust is in God, and I'm believing that God can pay my debts if I put him first in my life, that he is my source, he is my provision, he is my provider, he is my number one in life. My giving is proof of that, my evidence. So every time you write a check, every time you do an act of generosity in giving, you're winning a spiritual battle. Finally, focus on permanent values. Focus on what lasts. Focus on eternity. Paul says in Colossians 3:2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Man, that's a, that's a daily battle for me. I'm sure it is a daily battle for you because this, this life is all we, can, we see with our physical eyes or we hear with our, our ears if we're not uh, careful, if we're not having an ear toward heaven. This is all, and it's just so easy to see and to hear and to get wrapped up in this that we forget about the things above. Again, he's inviting us to look at life from God's perspective. He says, focus on what lasts forever. Everything material, he said, is, a, is eventually going to vanish. It's going to disappear. We don't take any of it with us when we go. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus says, the man who hears the message but allows the cares of this world and his longing for money choke out God's word, does less and less for God. Again, it's just that old excuse. I can't be involved. I can't serve. I can't do ministry. I got to make a living. Again, never confuse making a living with making a life. Making a life is much more important. What you live for is 
much more important than what you live on. And again, that's what we call focusing on what's really valuable. There are some things more important than money, amen? Do you know that some of the best teachers in life, some of the best incubators for life is not prosperity, it's adversity. I think that's what Paul learned. I think that's why Paul kind of talks about all of the adversity that he went through. He said, it's a much better, it's a much greater teacher for life. In all of nature, there is this phenomenon called the adversity principle. And it says the adversity principle is simply that difficult and hard times can be much more beneficial to plants and animals than easy living. Biologists now tell us that it's simply not healthy for a plant or animal to go through life without facing any kind of hardships or adversities. If you've ever been in a rainforest, you know that water is everywhere. And because of that, the trees don't have to drive their roots down very deep into the ground, more than maybe just a few feet. And that's why the slightest windstorm can topple any of those trees. But you take that same tree and you plant it in a drier land, it will send its roots down 30 feet or more looking for a source of water. And that tree can withstand sometimes even the, the force winds of a hurricane. And that's the idea. If we'll just sink our roots deeper and deeper into Jesus, not into materialism, not into wealth or the pursuit of wealth, if we'll just sink and drive our roots into Jesus, we can find that secret to life. We can find that secret to trust, to satisfaction. If Jesus means more to you than anything else and you love him more than anything else, then you can be content if you just have Jesus and nothing else. I love that old, uh, that, that song. Uh, maybe, Deb, sometime we can sing that. Uh, it's that song, um, um, now it just like, like left my, um, uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. I knew that that would happen, so. Um, Yes, there we go. Just give me Jesus. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel, we're, we, we, we track alike, you know? So yes, give me Jesus. I, you said that, that song came out. It's, it's, a, it's an older song, but man, it's just got a great truth to it. Just give me Jesus. That's what, that's what Paul would say. That's why you can praise God when things are good. Praise God when they're not. That's why we can praise God in plenty and praise God in want. Because our roots, our focus are not on the things of this earth. But they're on the one who created all things upon this earth. The one who owns it all, who controls it all, who provides it all. And again, sometimes, again, it's just so easy to get focused and fixed on the things here and again, this morning, what the Apostle Paul's doing is he's inviting us to a higher place to see those things that are above. 
that place where God dwells, that place where God lives, that place where God works, that place where God wants to bestow his blessings upon us. And I believe what God looks for is God looks for grateful hearts. Let's just stand together this morning. Father, again, we thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for who we are in Christ. This morning, Father, we focus on what we have. And Lord, help us to let go of those things that maybe we don't have. And maybe we don't have those things because we've been pursuing those things rather than pursuing you. So Father, this morning, we, we accept that invitation to come to a higher place. Like Paul says, forgetting the things that are in the past, the things that are behind us, that today is a new day. And Father, we pray, Lord, that we would just set our sights upon things that are above, especially as we see everything that's going on in the world today around us. And again, it's so easy to get fixed and focused on what is being lost rather than what remains. And you remain. And you never change. And you will never leave us. And you will never forsake us. And you are always for us. So Father, we pray, Lord, that those truths are what would draw our hearts. We pray that those thoughts would renew our mind, our thinking, that those, those truths would again begin to transform the way we live. So Father, this morning, we again, we thank you. We are grateful for all that we have. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us what you taught Paul, that we would be able to say, I have learned the secret of contentment. And Father, that that again would, would just permeate our lives, our thinking, our going forward. And Father, again, we just thank you for your presence here this morning. Father, I pray for any and all here this morning who just have need of healing, whether that's of mind, body, soul, spirit. Father, whatever healings need to be received this morning, Father, I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would just come and that you would just bring forth, that you would break forth among us in healings this morning, Father. We thank you again for your power, your presence in this place. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Father, that that would go with us both in today and into this week. And again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, Happy to serve you down in the Praise Cafe this morning. So